This episode is brought to you by the American Distilling Institute's Annual Judging of Craft Spirits. Are you a distiller or a brand owner? If you are, you should think about submitting your spirits for judging and evaluation at this year's annual event. Not only will you get a sense of how your products stand up to other distilled spirits on the market, but you'll also receive in-depth sensory feedback and recommendations from a panel of expert judges. If your spirit rises above the rest and receives best-of-class honors, you'll be given the opportunity to meet with ADI's three U.S. retail partners, Benny's Beverage Depot, K&L Wine Merchants, and Total Wine and More to discuss possible placement in their stores. Members of ADI, yes, you can become a member, receive a $100 discount per spirit submitted from the standard registration fee. Registration closes on February 25th, 2022. Visit distilling.com to learn more about the American Distilling Institute's annual judging of craft spirits and to submit your spirits for evaluation today. Now, on to the show. Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. Force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 220 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I get to hang out with bourbon lover and no ABV spirits entrepreneur, Lauren Chitwood. She and her business partners created a brand called Spiritless, and their flagship product is Kentucky 74, which they call a beautifully distilled non-alcoholic spirit for bourbon cocktails. This is the third in a four-part series on low and no ABV spirits and cocktails that we're running this dry January, and my favorite part about this conversation with Lauren, as well as the next interview that we'll be airing, is the fact that they display two very different ways of physically creating flavorful, non-alcoholic spirits. But before we talk about how to make something that bourbon drinkers are actually excited to use in place of American whiskey in their favorite cocktails, let's take a moment so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Spiritless Brown Derby. We featured the foolproof version of this cocktail many moons ago, but I wanted to return to it because we're still technically in citrus season here in the US, and this cocktail has also taught me something about using no ABV spirits in cocktail applications. So, to make the Spiritless Brown Derby, you'll need two ounces of Spiritless Kentucky 74, one ounce grapefruit juice, and one half ounce honey syrup, which is a two to one ratio of honey to water. I've just made this by literally heating up some water in the microwave and stirring in the honey. You don't even really need to put it onto a full boil or simmer on the stove if you're doing it the lazy way. Combine all these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, gently shake. Notice, gently, normally I say shake vigorously. Gently shake to combine, then strain into a chilled stemmed cocktail glass and enjoy. If possible, it's a great idea to get your Kentucky 74 or any other no ABV spirit you're planning to mix with fairly cold before putting it into a cocktail shaker. 
This is because no ABV cocktails tend to suffer from a lack of body in the first place. So by diluting them even further, you're simply not allowing the ingredient to be the best version of itself. The same goes for the honey syrup here, which you're gonna need to refrigerate anyway, so get it cold. And if you can pre-juice your grapefruit and chill it down as well, so much the better. We'll actually be talking a bit more about the topic of dilution in no ABV cocktails during next week's episode, so be sure to stay tuned for that. One other thing I'd like to note about this brown derby format is, it turns out it's kind of flexible. If you think about it, this cocktail is basically a Paloma served up and without the bubbles. Lauren and her team leaned into this by including a bottle of sparkling pink grapefruit soda from Fever Tree in the box that they sent me with the Kentucky 74, and I thought it was such a smart riff on bourbon plus grapefruit because it amped up the mouthfeel with some bubbles. Plus, as nice as a short drink can be, sometimes at the end of the day, you just want something that looks a little bit more like a highball. So now that you've got a mindful spin on a cocktail classic to try when you get your hands on your bottle of Kentucky 74, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this eye-opening conversation with Spiritless CEO Lauren Chitwood, some of the topics we discuss include how Lauren's experience running events and activations for big spirits brands led her to join forces with her two business partners to solve one of the industry's trickiest problems, what to drink when you're not drinking. What it was like to take Spiritless from a basement experiment using PVC pipe and a popcorn machine to a full-fledged operation that uses real spirits to capture the barrel-aged essence of American whiskey. Then, of course, we taste Kentucky 74, two versions of it. Lauren uses these two samples to walk me through the evolution of the product and explain how she and her team are zeroing in on the flavors that cocktail lovers really crave. Along the way, we cover the mixological appeal of going halvesies, my controversial views on bourbon, what other spirits Spiritless has in the pipeline, and much, much more. Many of us in the beverage world are taught to accept no substitutes. Unless, of course, that substitute involves mezcal, fernet, or chartreuse. So when we come across something that claims to be a stand-in for a beloved ingredient like bourbon, we get real cagey real fast. That bottle rotates in the hand until the index finger locates an ingredient or label claim that allows us to expose and subsequently dismiss the product as a cheap or overly engineered imitation of something genuine or crafted. For me, the only antidote against this sort of easy thinking is to get down and dirty by talking about the manufacturing process in detail and actually spending some time with the flavor on the palate. I call this making eye contact with the spirit. You look at the packaging, the color, the aroma, the flavor, and the finish. You ask specific questions about the raw materials used and the equipment and processes that transform those inputs. And if you're lucky enough to have a passionate and knowledgeable guide like Lauren, you also get a sneak peek into the quality, efficiency, and sustainability improvements that are being made as the company learns and scales. Long story short, no ABV spirits, they're here to stay. So whether you're a passionate cheerleader of the category or a reluctant skeptic, I hope you'll take this opportunity to slow down with me really dig into the details, 
and make some actual eye contact with one of the many products that are rapidly changing the face of the cocktail world as we know it. With that, please enjoy this fascinating interview and tasting with Lauren Chitwood, CEO of Spiritless, makers of Kentucky 74. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for having me. So this is a lot of fun for me because rarely do I actually get the uh, the in-person, face-to-face, <laughs> across the table, bottles in front of us experience these days during the pandemic of interviewing a guest. But uh, here we are in uh, beautiful, frigid Washington, D.C. And we're here to talk about uh, your journey and your product, Kentucky 74. But before we get into all that, can you just go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. So I am Lauren Chitwood, CEO of Spiritless. Um, and thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for thanks for coming to my dining room table. Yes. Uh, I think the dining room table is a setting where a lot of people experience this product for the first time. So I think it's, it's really fitting that we're here together during dry January. Indeed. And uh, this is something thing that a lot of our listeners have been requesting was more no ABV spirits and cocktail content. We just caught up with our mutual friend, Derek Brown, to talk about his book, Mindful Mixology. And now we're following that up with a a conversation about a barrel-aged or barrel-aged spirits correlative, we might say, uh, in the no ABV space which is very intriguing to me because I know next to nothing about how this is made. So we're gonna get to this, we're gonna taste not just one iteration, but but a a sort of like a uh, a beta test or a round one of your product. But before we do that, I wanna know about your background because it seems like you've had quite the journey through the both boozy and non-boozy space. And I'm wondering like where you got your start. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I studied PR. Uh, I came out of came out of UK in 2008. And we all know what 2008 was like for for postgrads. And um, you know, really was was fortunate to be able to step in and start doing some entertaining. I had a I had a great network and slowly but surely built built a business off of that. So really, entrepreneurship is probably the the consistent theme in my life. This is my my third business. I've sold one before, but bringing people around the table, um, you know, food, drink, experience has always all you know kind of been that consistent consistent theme and. Prior to Spiritless, actually the 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 three co-founders um, that that you know that that make up Kentucky seventy four and Spiritless now actually um, work together in in our previous business and that business worked with big beverage alcohol companies so we were a marketing consultancy agency we did a ton of experiential work um, you know we're fortunate to have um, an incredible Rolodex like the Derek Browns of the world and we were popping up at festivals and we were doing programming for you know. The the you know the Sazeracs and the Brown Foremans of of the world, and it was really there that we saw them trying to solve for a low to no ABV um, execution mm. consistently, scratching their heads like in major crisis. And we just said, "Golly, there's there's something here for us, and and we've got to do it." So that was that was how it all started. Yeah, and I'm guessing this was. Was it directly after you graduated? I'm trying to actually peg a year to like when you were doing this because Mm -hmm. 
in the decade leading up to the here and now, there's yeah. been a lot of festivals, a lot of uh, more and more in-person spirits and cocktail experiences. So when were you doing this? And when when did those first moments where you were like, oh, no ABV is a problem to be solved for, or at least an itch that needs to be scratched? You know, we really started feeling the pressure in 2018. Um, you know, we were we were popping up at at festivals and again, brand managers were going like, and it was it was always last minute. Like it was it was an afterthought, which makes sense, right? Their, yeah. you know, their core focus was certainly the the full proof spirit. But what they realized and what the data still supports, right, is that um you know, from time to time, we're all taking a break for one reason or another. And so if if these brands are making huge investments to drive liquid to lips, uh, a term you often hear, and your plus one isn't drinking, um, or they're pregnant or they're abstaining or it's a weeknight or whatever it may be, if, if we don't have something interesting to put in their hand – they're not going to keep the consumer either. And so that was really the the moment that we saw, which was we have to accommodate and we have to find inclusion for for all of these guests. And whether they're participating with, with my foolproof product or not, um, I need to think about um, you know, the entire guest list, if you will. And and that was that was the problem that we were trying to solve for mm. with them. And not just to solve, but to solve in an interesting or compelling way as opposed to the afterthought oh, that yes. you mentioned. Yes. The, the question often was, um, hey, could we get something non-alcoholic that's like cool? So not like water, tea, coffee, juice, um, nothing syrup-based, uh, you know, nothing in a can. You know, there was like this huge list of qualifiers. Like, could you call, you know, the Derek Browns of the world and have mm-hmm. him back just a tincture for a thousand people tomorrow? And you're going, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Um, and, and that was really just the aha. Yeah. So you mentioned you're part of a team. Do you want to just briefly share with us what the division of labor looks like and what your uh, what your two co-founders kind of bring to the table? Absolutely. Um, my gosh, what would we do without each other? The power of the the triangle is is very strong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Abby Ferguson, Abby has an incredible history in culinary. So grew up in upstate New York, her family owned um, a handful of restaurants. She was in Manhattan right at the rise of the celebrity chef movement, um, was on the founding team of the New York. York City Food and Wine Festival when it came up from South Beach. And then from there, actually went and was on the founding team of the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival. Um, Atlanta sold in 2016. And uh, Abby Abby and I, our, our networks pushed us together. Um, and so one of the most uh, delightful pieces of having Abby as a partner is basically anywhere in the US and frankly, in you know, almost anywhere in the world, you know, we can walk in and there's a there's a chef that goes Abby Ferguson, you know what are you doing here? And uh, you know I think she's she's saved a bunch of people's bacon over the year uh, over the years at these mm-hmm. these busy and intense food festivals. And so um, Abby manages um, partnerships and strategy, and you know thinking about as as we are growing our on premise business, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, you know her her brain and her network has been hugely powerful. Um, and, and that's Abby's piece of the world. And then Lexi Larson is, is, um, our third co-founder and Lexi actually has a really fun family history. Her family was a third distillery in Bardstown pre-prohibition. 
did not survive prohibition. They now actually um, work in the manufacturing space, but, you know, touch some of the biggest beverage companies in the world. And so, you know, growing up, I think she was touring Pepsi bottling lines. And, you know, who would have thought that uh, this journey would have brought us here where, you know, we're, we're all three very complimentary. But Lexi does all of our um production and logistics and operations, which is which is wonderful. We we always joke that Lexi has been been making sense of our entrepreneurial chaos for for quite some time. So we're a great trio. Manufacturing is a lot to manage, especially when there's a glassware short or a glass shortage in general. Uh yeah, it, it's a uh, it's something that is uh no small feat to be sure. So um yeah it, it kind of intrigues me that you've got, you know, the manufacturing side, you've got the culinary side. And then, uh, I mean, what do you bring to the table in terms of the actual product itself? We've got somebody who's in the culinary space, clearly concerned with flavor. We've got somebody in the kind of spirits and in, in general manufacturing world helps it go from actual concept to real product. What do you bring to the actual liquid itself? So, you know, I think... Uh, and I want to make sure I understand your question, but you know, I, I am always a storyteller mm-hmm. and I, you know, brands move me. Um, and when we thought about, you know, what, what our point of view was and, and, you know, in addition to obviously wanting to have incredible liquid, but also something that you were, you were proud to walk into a party with it in your hand with, mm-hmm. right. That, that didn't scream non-alcoholic in such a way that it felt like inflammatory or, um, you know, also, uh, you know, didn't have the baggage or the stigma, right? That that some of these things have, and so, you know, I my role and you know what what I really serve for for Spiritless is, you know, certainly doing things like this, telling the story, being able to share, you know, what we stand for, what what less is yes really means to to us and to our consumer, um, and then certainly you know taking that and making sure that you know we're well capitalized and that you know we we have the gas in the tank. That that we need to, to grow at the rate that we're growing. So details, details, details. I know, right? <laughs> Rule number one, never run out of money, right? That is the goal. Man, somebody should have told me that a long time ago. <laughs> um, well, and, and all, all spirits do tell a story. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that when very often I encounter no ABV spirits and cocktails, uh, certainly mocktails, things that self-identify as mocktails, the the big flaw that I often identify is that they fall into the uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it, clearly something is not right. Something's missing. Something is off. Like when you when you look at the uh, the AI or the robot, and you're like, mm, you're real life like, but you are not alive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some sort of spark or flame missing there, and I think that in the no ABV space, like having a spirit that does tell a story starts to begin to solve for that. And it's interesting to me to talk about that because we're still so early on in the evolution of what no ABV spirits are. And I think the fact that we're now beginning to have some examples of spirits that are telling stories and, and beginning to not just talk like real distilled spirits, but also kind of walk like them and fill some of the functions that they were filling way better than anything has done up to this point is kind of where I think Kentucky 74 comes into the picture. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, and that was when we, and we'll dive into process because I know yes. you want to know how we make this yes, this yes. precious liquid, but you know that was something that we knew for sure, right? Every 
every big, you know, brown spirit brand is telling a story on how this liquid is made, right? Charred in what in what barrel for how long and where in the rickhouse and, you know, corn from what field, right? Like we've we've really been um, taught to assign value and to make purchase decisions um, all about, you know, that process and production story. And when we looked at the space and we said, like, let's do something here, what we ultimately saw was a lot of product that was ultimately, you know, a bunch of a bunch of flavoring from you know from a lab that was held in held in water suspension right mm-hmm. and distilled water and that's how they were distilled and we just said like I'm gonna call bullshit on this like let's let's make something that has process that um, that informs decisions that we can tell a story around but hopefully, right, and God willing, makes incredible liquid. Um, and that's that's really how we got here. But it was founded in, you know, a lot of those kind of foundational truths that we know about, about spirits for sure. Yeah. So let's dig into production. And as, as we talk our way through production, maybe we can uh, taste a couple of these awesome samples that we yep. have in front of us. And I'm going to prompt you into this by giving you a blurb from your website, which okay. is PVC pipe and a popcorn maker. Yeah. Why don't you just take that and run with it? <laughs> so again, we knew process was important. And um, you know, what we what we also were surrounded by in in Louisville was, you know, bountiful amounts of 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 wholesale bourbon. Right. And so essentially it did. It started in a in a popcorn tin that was about waist high. We had a commercial sous vide that went down into the pot and we manufactured this lid that would that would kind of, you know, close it up. And it then went to a PVC pipe with an arm. And there was a cooling coil inside um, that also was connected to a sump pump and a cooler to like keep things keep things running. And it was in my basement, and we were buying bulk Old Forester for a while from from Total, and we were just low and slow trying to dealkalize and see what would happen, right? And and you know there was there was. You know, there was a, a a mini, you know, chemistry degree that Lexi got, you know, understanding, you know, really when when and how you would vaporize off the, the ethanol and, you know, when do flavor molecules move with that versus just mm-hmm, that clean mm-hmm. alcohol, right? Like there was there was a lot of nuance there. You know, ultimately our little home still, uh, you know, obviously didn't didn't quite accelerate with us, but you know that is that is absolutely where it started. And we were also walking around the backs of distilleries and talking to talking to all the good old boys. There was a, an enormous amount of mansplaining that you know we definitely definitely traversed uh, <laughs> over those journeys. And they were also going like, "Y'all are going to kill your kids! Like you can't do that shit in your basement." And you know. That was probably a fair warning. You know, we were pushing it a little bit, but you know, that thesis of if we start from a high proof spirit and we gently dealkalize it, you know, where do we get that that thesis actually still really, you know, we have been able to bring that to scale, although we've gotten there now in a whole a whole different way. Mm. Um, but but yes, it started in the popcorn tin in the basement. So very simply, you take it a bourbon. You take it a booze out of the bourbon. Uh, very simply, yes. Yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. I mean, I, you know, I think of in many cases uh, like no ABV spirits being created more like a hydrosol, where you take where you begin with water and you mm-hmm. pass it through certain flavorants, and then you know the the water vapor takes on those flavors. Mm-hmm. You're almost doing not the opposite, but sort of the inverse, where you're starting with ethanol, you're finding a way to take it out. And for context, you know, 
if those of you who are listening might not be able to picture the distilling process in your mind, well, a couple of things to note to just simplify this is that ethanol evaporates at a much lower temperature than water. Water 212, ethanol somewhere in like the one mids, you know? Um, and and it seems like that's where Lexi was sort of concerned of like, uh, you know, at some points that when that ethanol is evaporating, maybe it's taking some of these aromatics and volatile flavor compounds. Whereas if we're maybe at a slightly lower or slightly higher temperature, maybe we're just burning off that clean ethanol mm -hmm. and some of these uh, flavoring agents that we want mm -hmm. remain in the juice. Mm -hmm. So to me, that is a very logical kind of R&D process. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like now you're just operating kind of a similar process or is it is it very different it's, now? It's similar but different. So now the process has has two steps. And, you know, we are we are very closely guarded on, you know, temperature and time and all of those things sure. for for good for good reason. But, you know, essentially what we do now is instead of starting with wholesale bourbon, because frankly, dealkalizing, you know, proof down bourbon, there just wasn't quite enough left from a flavor perspective. Mm -hmm. So essentially what we do is we start with a corn-based grain neutral spirit. And we have a proprietary blend of American oak and a range of char levels, right? And what we do is we put it on this uh, this stainless uh, huge pot still and we have a have a patented, if you could kind of wrap your mind around it, like a engineered food grade tea bag. And essentially, we put it through the manway. We stuff it full of this of this oak, just like the barrel, mm -hmm. right? And and what we do is we are rapidly, um, basically mimicking the barrel, right? So a barrel with that beautiful white dog goes and sits in a rickhouse, and over four years in that crazy Kentucky weather, that barrel expands and contracts, and slowly but surely creates that delicious flavor, right? Um, and what we're doing is we're basically mimicking that process, but doing it in just a matter of few hours. So we're taking temperature and pressure and highs and lows in that still. And then what comes off of that is like the most potent spirit you could ever imagine. Not technically a bourbon, right? Mm -hmm. But I would call it like a quadruple oaked spirit. It comes out, it looks like chocolate milk. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is almost just black. And then we move it to our next still, which is when we do our reverse distillation process. So taking off just the ethyls and just the esters. And what's left in the pot, right? Because it's the inverse, right? You can, and you have to kind of wrap your mind around it, is this awesome concentrate that holds on to all the tannins and the oils from the oak and everything that makes your mouth go like, huh, all right, like, that's kind of bourbon breath. I got it. And, mm -hmm. you know, what's what's neat is we're able to to take off, you know, something that's so clean as our waste product, it actually is regenerated and used again as our starter. So we've got this great loop um, at this point as well. So that's really interesting. So you're basically Imagine this were vanilla extract, right? Mm -hmm. So most vanilla extracts, fairly high alcohol. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is you take, you, you make the oak extract of a vanilla extract. And after that, you pass it through a still again, you separate the pure alcohol from the pure flavor. And now we just have this bunch of pure flavor, and that is the flavor base from which you create Kentucky That is correct. 74. That is the lion's share of Kentucky 74. And it's great that you're able to just separate that spirit out again and just reuse. It, it was something we didn't know that we would be able to do, but now we've been able, I mean, I think my last count is, you know, we have we have yet to actually dispose of any of it. Um, and we're, you know, we're at like 45 times reuse at this point, which is fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, 
We've got two samples here in front of us. Yeah. Uh, which one would you like to taste first? Oh my goodness. Well, it's listen, we should taste we should taste what's in the market. Yes. Um, but it's all also fun. We can pull back a little bit and um taste we, we call it the OG. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Go ahead, pull and, away. and I think one of the things that that we always talk about and I think is really important to discuss here is that, you know, we're certainly gonna drink this neat and we're gonna sniff it and, and do the whole thing, but this is really for cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, often the way that our sales teams are are rolling this out is, you know, they're going in and saying, let's make it old fashioned. Mm-hmm. first um and then after that we can you know we can sip the spirit and we'll 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 connect that mental uh you know that that neuron to how we got from from here to here sure all right mm. so you know there's there's a couple things you know i i always say ethanol is a magical molecule all right it's a congener. It makes flavors meld. It, you know, it does. It does all these things. When you are taking that away, you are certainly going to have a very different sensory experience. Um, so you're not going to have that punch in the mouth. You're you're mm-hmm. not going to have that intense intense burn. You can stick your nose right in there without you, burning your nose hairs off. N- right. But I think that you'll find like it's it's oddly familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, I get like almost. I definitely get like some some cinnamon and sarsaparilla, mm-hmm. um, almost like a almost like an oated mash bill profile from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very very um, very gentle and almost like I'm 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 thinking of this dessert that I had in England that they call a flapjack, which is uh, it's just oats and honey, mm-hmm. just oats and honey. Mm-hmm. They might pretend there's other stuff in there. It's just a big old patty of oats and honey, and it's the most delicious thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, you like not bourbon, not bourbon, but not supposed to be bourbon, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's sneaky. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me just take a taste. And, and for listeners, uh, one thing that I, I mentioned to Lauren before we started, like, I have not tasted, I've had this taunting me from my, my liquor <laughs> shelf and have resisted tasting it to this point to be able to give, give a, um, a completely, uh, uninformed reaction so the nose yes um i would say i would say overall maybe a little bit more confectionery and ginger snappy Mm -hmm. than some bourbons um and on the palate let's see the one thing that i really like about it is that there's an actual mouthfeel um and that's something that in my recent samplings of many no ABV spirits, I see a lot of people attempting to solve for and not necessarily hitting the mark. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that is where your manufacturing process that you just described really comes in um, and, and gives that thumbprint of an actual bourbon because you're doing the same thing with the oak and the oak chips that occurs in a barrel. Yes. You're, you're actually taking that and uh, maybe not replicating entirely, but mm-hmm. certainly getting really, really close. Um, on the palate, some more fruit comes out, which is another characteristic of bourbon that I feel like a lot of people really enjoy. When you hear people who are bourbon aficionados, mm-hmm. of course they talk about vanilla and caramel, uh-huh. but the the more advanced palates go straight for that fruit. Mm-hmm. 
and that's something that I'm getting a little bit more here. Mm -hmm. More orchard fruit, apricot. Uh huh. I would agree um, with you. Yeah, it's certainly gentler. You you do you know one of the th one of the other things that I see is that a lot of no ABV spirits dope in uh, a ton of either capsaicin or uh, dried ginger or um, other crazy stuff uh, like like obscene amounts of potassium sorbate actually uh to replicate the burn of a spirit mm -hmm. and th that's one thing that's it's not here and i almost don't miss it well and it, it you know it's interesting that you bring it up because we you think about it long and hard right because one of the things that you know about spirits is that intensity and that heat mm -hmm. and you know we wanted to make something that that we wanted to drink. Mm -hmm. And what I found for myself that when I was consuming those, this, those non-alk spirits that, that did try to replicate the burn, I felt like I was eating a chicken wing that I was getting, I had hot lips, but not necessarily that burn that, that was reminiscent of mm -hmm. a spirit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, what we loved in a cocktail, right. Was, was the depth of flavor and the complexity not necessarily the burn. Like that wasn't what we were desiring out of that. And so, um, so we, we were intentional. Listen, you, you know, when you're iterating and thinking and, you know, trying to make something that is an analog, right. Uh, right. or as close to an analog as you could get, um, you have to give credence to, to the sensory piece of it. But, you know, I think what you'll find here too, is just some real astringency. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also something that, um, that, you know, whether that feels like bitter or, you know, how, how all of those pieces build, you know, the astringency that you get on your palate in that kind of moment that you're like, ooh, my mouth watered here, I think is also very, very similar to that kind of sensory experience that you're getting mm. um, from a spirit. I think the best way that I can probably describe it is to imagine if you could have bourbon as tea. But there's the but it has the mouthfeel of a spirit, which I think you know when you drink a tea, you get that astringency, but the mouthfeel is thin. Mm -hmm. Here you're getting the astringency. It's not a tea-like astringency. It's a distinctly oaked astringency. You uh -huh. get it's the barrel astringency yeah. of a spirit, but you've also got that mouthfeel, and you've also got the spice and the fruit. Mm -hmm. And when I think about a bourbon cocktail, what are all of the other ingredients playing off of? Mm -hmm. They're playing off of the barrel qualities the spice and the fruit and it's all there ta-da yeah yeah we i mean we we worked hard at it this episode is brought to you by near country provisions i've been a customer for about a year now and i can say without hesitation that the delivery of frozen farm fresh meat that i receive from adam and his team makes me do a little happy dance every month not only does Near Country offer grass-fed beef and pasture-raised pork, but they also have an awesome selection of chicken and seafood. And the best part is it's all local and it's all sustainably farmed and harvested. You can customize every order or simply leave the selection in their capable hands like I do. Near Country even offers fun add-ons like bones for soups and stocks, as well as special holiday offerings like turkeys, brisket, and more. If you live in the Mid-Atlantic, that's D.C., Maryland, or Virginia, and you're sick of the same bland selection at the grocery store, or you're looking to drastically improve the quality of the protein in your diet, Near Country Provisions has you covered. 
Head over to nearcountry.com and enter the code BARCART, all one word, when you sign up for your subscription to receive two free pounds of bacon or ground beef in your first delivery. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, all one word, at checkout. This is easily one of the biggest quality of life improvements I've made in the last year or two, so I hope you'll give Near Country Provisions a shot and let me know what you think. Now, back to the show. We're fortunate to, to, to be here. We also say, too, liquid is a never-ending journey, mm-hmm. you know, and, and also because we are, we are working with real raws and real, you know, real varietals and different terroirs of wood and et cetera, like there's always going to be a bit of an evolution here. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we're proud of that. Yeah. You know, that is, that is something that we are always working on honing versus, you know, just the, the recipe, you know, off the shelf in a factory. So, you know, when, when we see comments, you know, there are people having conversations online going like, I think this batch is like a little, I feel a little bit more of this or that. And, you know, that is, that is part of life. And, you know, we're starting to blend totes now and, you know, do things that, you know, are, we're doing our best to hold consistency, but, you know, certainly continue to raise the bar. Um, so I am, I am absolutely sure that the Kentucky 74 that you're drinking today will be different in six months and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully continuing to, to improve as, as our innovation, you know, improves and our extraction gets stronger or we, you know, we continue to just, like tweak this little fun experiment that we have here. Yeah, and and I mean, there's great analog there with barrel aged spirits. You don't yeah. have the same weather every year. Like there's consistency is as much as it is aspirational. It is also a complete illusion. In that, like <laughs> you can get close, but you're never going to get all the way there. Which begs the question: Why try and have the same? You know. Yeah. It, it, so yeah, it's it's um. It's where that marketing trick of small batch came in. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I love that term. Uh, so we do have another bottle here. Do you want to talk to us about the OG? The OG, absolutely, absolutely. So you should try it. Yeah. You should try it. Do you, yes. I'm gonna yeah, put go it in, put it in this guy here. I'd love to do a little um, side by side. And so it's interesting. What I think that you'll find is we don't have the astringency in this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is sweeter. I have a sweet tooth. I will always love OG. Um, but I think that when you are building a cocktail, um, you will find that as a as an ideal base, we felt like this was much more of a, um, a much more of a building block than that. But like this is, I just, I don't know. Yeah. So the the what's on the market now is is a little bit more cocktail friendly, and then the OG. Uh, Immediately, I can't wait to hear what you immediately, think. I noticed that it was darker. It's, it's darker, about two shades darker. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe, maybe what's on the market now is like closer to like a weeded, uh, yeah. like a weeded for four year, and this is maybe closer to like a like a high rye, like mm-hmm. four to six, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe like a chart chart three versus a chart mm-hmm. four or something like that. Still get that really distinct ginger snap sarsaparilla on the nose. Mm-hmm but a lot more brown sugar coming through as mm-hmm. well. Like almost like tasting these side by side by side is almost like tasting an Elijah Craig versus a Maker's Mark. Okay, yeah, um, I would agree with that. Uh, and I'm yeah. actually kind of partial to Elijah Craig. So. Yeah, okay, good. Well, then you like the... I, yeah, actually, I <laughs> I wouldn't say they're very different. I uh, Yeah, the, actually the mouthfeel is almost identical. So yeah. it's kind of cool to see your process staying the same and just kind of tweaking some of the um, like 
if we we're making a soundboard analogy, just kind yeah. of like cranking some knobs up and turning some a little bit down. Yep. Uh, kind of cool to see you playing with the volumes and frequencies of different yep. flavors. Um, but yeah, I agree. I do think that the Kentucky 74 that is now the batch that is on the market yeah. is ultimately probably going to be more friendly to cocktails for the simple reason that most cocktails contain a sweetener. Yeah. So to have less sweet going in. And that's really where we landed. You know, in, in my early days of, you know, the of iteration and dry January, you know, that was dry February or whatever, I I wanted that sweet. You know, I wanted that kind of – it was almost like a candy bar to me. Mm, the mount the, – like the, the finish on it is like pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, More, it's crazy long. Yeah, it is. I agree. So it's just – it's interesting, the, the evolution. Mm. But yeah, you're you're one of the lucky ones. This is like there, there's very few bottles of OG left and it's my favorite. So <laughs> you guys should uh, – Because I'm the sugar queen, I guess, apparently. It's, you should do a marketing ploy on that and just say that like somebody stole like the Pappy Heist. Yeah. Uh, somebody stole a vat of your OG. Yeah. Um, wow. So talk to me a little bit about cocktails then. Um, we were just beginning to speak about that. I imagine – you know, you, you mentioned earlier that when you're – brand reps and the people who are kind of spreading the good news of Kentucky 74 usually interact with a first time consumer. They'll usually say, let's make an old fashioned. Uh Um, What role do you see this playing in the cocktail space? What are your favorite cocktails to make? And I guess, I mean, you've got mixologist Derek Brown on the team now. So like what's happening in the cocktail space with Kentucky 74? Sure. So, and again, we're we're sipping this neat and having a very serious conversation about about the liquid and as as it deserves. But also, you know, because of the sensory component that you're missing to feel, um, to feel like you're having a, a real adult drink, we find that it composed in a glass and in a cocktail is is really where your your mind's gonna have that like, well, no, no way, this feels mm-hmm. like a drink moment um, more and more. And so, you know, when we are bringing people to the product, certainly, you know, starting in that cocktail format where they go, gosh, I feel like I'm having a drink, and then taking them here to the finished liquid. It makes that aha moment more seamless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we start thinking about, like, what does this work really beautifully in? You know, obviously, citrus notes are great. You know, we we packed you a, a grapefruit cocktail here at Brown Derby, which is, like, one of my favorites. It's such it's a classic, but, like, not quite as known of a classic. It's a very American drink <laughs> because it was invented during Prohibition when we didn't have access to any, like, imported flavors. So yep. it's using American citrus. It's yep. using honey yep. local to everywhere yep. and bourbon, America's spirit. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. We we love the brown derby. So, you know, citrus notes are great. Also on the darker side, like coffee notes are great, work really beautifully in it. It makes an awesome highball. My probably go-to drink is a whiskey sour, you know, which we've got some some fun things coming out around the whiskey sour that we could probably probably divulge here that would be great. But yeah, you know, anything, anything that, anything that feels kind of classic, um, you know, we also talk a lot about, and it's funny, the trade is slow on this. Like they're going, really, Lauren, I don't know. But the consumer is really excited about halvesies. 
So the, yes. you know, the, let's talk about that. Let's that's, that's talk big. about it. That's it is big. huge. So the way that I drink Kentucky 74 on my on the weekends, like not on my school nights, is I use an ounce of an ounce of Kentucky 74, an ounce of, you know, whatever of my favorite bourbons in my in my liquor cabinet. And, you know, I have an old fashioned. And what I think that people are finding is that it's spirit forward. You get enough of that sensory experience that maybe you were missing. And it's half the ABV. It's less than 100 calories. You can, you know, sip three over the evening, you know, and still have your wits about you. Mm-hmm. And the consumer is so excited about this because I think what we know, right, because sobriety is a spectrum. There, so there's sober serious and there's sober sometimes. And the reality is, is most people live right in the middle. Right. Like I'm I'm sober during the week. I you know, I consume on the weekends and that has to do with sleep and um calories and a variety of things. Um and so to to be able to be a little bit better and to be able to make a substitution that you know, that empowers my decision-making is really what we find that the consumers are looking for. It's not necessarily those sober serious. It's like everybody in between that's going like, oh my gosh, you know, like if I could save myself 300 calories over the course of the evening and not have a headache, hell yeah, I'm there. And so, um, so we're we're having enormous success with Habsies. You know, you just you kind of can't go wrong. And in the arsenal of any serious home or professional mixologist, the opportunity to take one product, it's a split base. Yep. You're making a split base cocktail. It just yep. happens that half of your base doesn't have booze in it. Yep. And so like, okay, Maybe your split base cocktail isn't always like bourbon and gin or bourbon and mezcal. Like maybe yeah. this split base cocktail is going to be bourbon and Kentucky seventy four, yep. like a bourbon and a bourbon like analog. Yeah. But you get to pick what bourbon you pair it with, mm-hmm. and to me that's incredibly exciting. Like mm-hmm. if I have a bourbon that is lacking some of those fruit notes, like some of the orchard fruit or some of the some of the like ginger snap sarsaparilla stuff, mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, you know what has that. Kentucky 74. Uh-huh. Like to me, the like the Habsies is exciting from a pure caloric and health and wellness standpoint, but it's also exciting from a flavor standpoint. Mm-hmm. And like to me, that's what like that's what gets my brain going is because I'm like now, I'm, you know, and, and also with the cocktails, you know, you said it's great in a highball. To me, the highball is something I've always loved because I think it pulls out the the heart or the essence of what a, a spirit is all about. And I can just see like with just a really nicely carb, like a Topo Chico mm-hmm. or like a really nicely carbonated club soda, like take a second, make a beautiful lemon twist or something mm-hmm. like that. I could see those orchard fruit notes just mm-hmm. exploding mm-hmm. in a highball, whether it was Habsies or, or straight Kentucky 74. I might be tempted to just not not even go halvesies on that. Um, and that that's just super exciting to me. So to have to to be sitting here with you as somebody who almost exclusively drinks foolproof spirits mm-hmm. and has no problem with that. Mm-hmm. And to be actively like I'm actively excited about that. Yeah. And that's not something that I say lightly. Yeah. Uh, and I, hopefully folks who are listening to this podcast will will believe that. If, if you're a longtime listener, you you get that I usually get excited about things with a decent amount of ethanol and the excitement that I have imagining a Kentucky 74 highball is as great, if not more exciting 
than that. Well, thank so, you. To the extent that that is validation. Yeah, no, <laughs> listen, thank you. Um, it it is it is such a delight to bring our spirits drinkers over. You know, and it's something we do every day, all day long, you know, and I I, I call them my grumpy old men. Nobody take it personally, but they go, (laughs) Chitwood, I drink for the effect. What are you talking about? You know, you're losing your mind on this. I said, oh, let me make you a halfsies old fashioned, you know, and and they come over, they go, damn, that was good. Yeah. I drink that. And then I go, I know. And they go, you know who would love this? My, My wife, wife would love this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's that's how it happens. And, you know, yeah. lo and behold, they go, you know, my doctor's really been giving me a hard time and saying I need to cut back. And, you know, I, I got to lose 20 pounds from the holidays. And, you know, all those things that as Americans we deal with, right? This is a tool in your toolkit. This is a, this is, you know, this is that kind of jujitsu move that you can do and still feel like you're included and empowered in your decision making. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always a product. We always say it's, it's not a product for everyone all the time, but it's a product for almost everyone sometimes. Mm. That's a really great way to, to kind of, to map it out for folks. Uh, I, I love that. I'll just let that stand. Well, we've, we've got our tasting here. We've, we've talked about, um, a bunch of great cocktail expressions that we can uh, kind of start playing around with. Is there anything else in the cocktail space that you wanted to to hit us with here? Oh, let's see. I mean, you know, I have a, and I don't know that anyone else loves this drink like I love this drink, but we have an incredible milk punch recipe. And there's something about, you know, whether that's like an eggnog in the holidays or, or, or just a traditional milk punch, but the you know, the flavor notes with that nutmeg and the richness of, you know, you can use a dairy alternative or, you know, you can go fully let it on the, on the half and half or whatever it may be. It feels like such a great after dinner drink. And I think Mm. that, you know, and again, anything that adds a little bit of weight when you're losing ethanol also just, again, heightens that experience. So, you know, whether that be your simple or whether it be, um, you know, a dairy product or something like that, but I just, I always crave that milk punch. So this would be like a New Orleans style where it's not mm-hmm. clarified. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Those are those are super tasty, especially when it's like, you know, the temperature it is right now. A thousand percent. I feel like you need that. A thousand percent. <laughs> it's like my dessert. Here we go. Back to the sugar. But but, but on a more uh, on a more, I guess, um molecular mixology note, yeah. uh paging Eamon Rocky. Uh we recently had him on and we talked about milk punches uh clarified as, yep. as a process more than an actual product. And yep. he was making non-alcoholic versions of clarified milk punch. Mm-hmm. And so to have a non-alcoholic spirit mm-hmm. where you can actually provide some of that barrel agedness. And you know, the interesting thing about that is that, you know, milk punch pill pulls a lot of its richness from, you know, the tannins in the tea, the mm-hmm. whey proteins in the milk. Mm-hmm. Here, you know, like if we're if we're thinking about his non-alcoholic milk punch that he had as a base and then would just add things into it, depending on what base spirit his bar guests wanted, like this seems like, oh great. Well, now we can have a completely non-alcoholic version of this where it's not just the milk punch base minus the spirit. It's the milk punch base with the spirit. Uh-huh. Still no ABV. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so my mouth is watering. Yeah, like can we do that? <laughs> yeah, d- hit him up. D- Let's do it. Hit him. Hit up Eamon. Uh, I'm I'm sure that if he hasn't already tasted this, it's on his radar. And, yeah. And, uh, oh, it's so good. It seems like that that would be something he'd get super excited about. So, yeah, I love I love all that. And I, I guess since we've covered. You know, the origin story, the mm-hmm. production method, the flavor profile, some of the cocktail applications. Uh, I guess 
I wanted to talk about the future. You know, yeah. we've talked about where you've come from. I want to talk about where you're going. And I want to talk about it in kind of a two-pronged approach. I want to talk about, of course, what Spiritless and Kentucky 74 are planning for mm-hmm. the, the near and medium-term future. But also, you know, if you have any thoughts on where the no ABV space is headed in general, mm-hmm. maybe in, in your role as a leader in that space, that, that'd be fun to hear about as well. Absolutely. So, you know, product innovation is always going to be it's it's in our DNA. It's where we started in in so many ways. Um, so as we look into the future, you know, we are we are working on a tequila, um, which is, I mean, we thought bourbon was hard. <laughs> you know, it is, uh, it, and and the reality is, is you know, and maybe we're just the perfectionists that we are. We you know we want to bring something to market that that we want to drink. And so we are working really hard and again starting from real raws and just fervently working working on that. So we hope that'll be out this year. I, you know, I, it's like a Q2, like it, it might happen. Um and we're continuing just to to tinker and and perfect that. And then one of the the other things that's going to be out actually very soon is pour over cocktails. Like what what we know for sure, right? We just had this conversation. In a cocktail is so critical. And convenience also like, I mean, I, you can see I've got, you know, some some great canned stuff in 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 my home. Um, and so we have a whiskey sour that's on its way, also an old fashioned on its way as well. And just like cute. Just ready to ready to drink, um, sophisticated uh, cocktails that are that are ready to go. And I think that you know certainly something for for the at home consumer is important. But also one of the things that we are hearing from the trade is, you know, there is a bit of nuance here. Like I, you know, you're sipping and going like I might want a little more sugar in this, mm-hmm. you know, to to make up for some of that mouthfeel or you know they're balancing that out. And so taking the guesswork out, especially in the the days that we're living in, where the bar is short staffed and they're busy regardless. You know, there's there's just a, a need and a demand. So we're really excited about those two pieces. And, you know, certainly intend also as as we launch future spirits to be able to have, you know, ready to drink pour over cocktails to support those um, is is our thought. And when I think about what the future looks like, you know, I I often look and, you know, there's been so many other other industries that that have that have evolved, right? Um, you know, think about let's talk about dairy, right? And I and actually I love this analogy and I use it often. You know, when you think about that delicious whole milk latte, right? I mean, that stuff is good, but you know, I'm often choosing almond milk or oat milk, and the reality is, is it tastes different than that delicious cow's milk, but it serves a different purpose mm-hmm. for me. And I think that, you know, for for people that are hesitating to understand how this works, you know, I bring them to the latte, right? And I say, you know what, but that almond milk, right? It's, it's lower sugar, it's lower calorie, it's, you know, it's serving a different purpose for you, the, the way your body reacts to it, you know, whatever it may be when we're, we're choosing a, um, you know, a, a substitute, that is, that is a very similar idea and process here and to how these consumers are making, making that decision. So, 
you know, I think that we are going to continue to see the growth of low. Um, and I think the non-alcoholic space is going to support the the lower alcohol cocktails in a lot of ways. I think that we're having this aha moment where it's about, again, like using that split base and, and pulling back the ABV. I think that, you know, that is going to continue to grow. I think we're going to continue to see incredible innovation. I mean, the teams that we have working on, you know, what – what the dealkalization process is going to look like today versus look like in five years, mm-hmm. you know how we are thinking of, um, you know what are where we're deriving our raws from, and you know what are those, what are those um, those ingredients that that we haven't thought of, right? That are actually really cool building blocks into complex, amazing analogs. Yeah. Um, you know the the world is really our oyster, uh, and we're having so much fun tinkering. Uh, every day. So, and I think we're going to see, just continue to see an explosion. I really do. The phrase that Derek used was uh, the first monkeys being shot into space. <laughs> you know, yeah. so we, we have, we have a whole galaxy, a whole universe to explore. And, and we're just right now the, the, the first uh, lucky or unlucky monkeys who uh, <laughs> just got rocketed out of the earth's atmosphere into this uh, strange environment. And, uh, you know, it's it's strange, it's unexpected, but it's also full of delightful surprises. Uh, that's certainly been my experience today. Uh, I, I want to just comment on a couple of things that you noted, specifically with the the RTDs, the uh, mm-hmm. pour over ice cocktails. You know, like it seems like everybody and their brother is coming out with those these days. And the distinction that I want to draw with specifically with no ABV mm-hmm. cocktails is the A, there's not really a lot of those out there. And B, like not all bars are created equal. Mm-hmm. You want to have a bar say yes to your product and give you their money so that you can continue doing your work. But not all bars are going to have somebody who's a mixologist that can handle working with this. And so to have, you know, a dozen of those RTD cocktails in the low boy means that they get to say yes to the guest who wants a delicious no ABV cocktail. Whereas prior to making that, I'm sure very modest purchase of just like an RTD doesn't cost all that much, you know, making that very modest purchase brings them from a no or a sparkling lemonade to a yes. Would you like a no ABV whiskey sour? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. And, and, and that ability to say yes is something that that word, the word, the word yes is kind of floating around my mind right now because it's something going back to Eamon yeah. and the conversation I had with him in his product development process, it was a lot of, a lot of saying yes. And, yeah. and I'm sure that when, especially in the early, early, early days with the good old boys, mm-hmm. you got a lot of yes, buts or just straight out no's. <laughs> a lot of no's. Uh, <laughs> And I think the whole point of this conversation to me and thinking about Kentucky 74 as both a no ABV spirit and as a cocktail ingredient is if you are able to bring yourself to a place, even if you've never worked with anything like this before, where you can say, yes, and, all right, I want to make a bourbon cocktail. I like using, if we'll use my previous example, Elijah Craig. Great. Say yes, and. Mm-hmm. And the yes andness of the situation is, I think, what's going to allow us to advance not only the production methods, the different types of spirits that you're playing around with, but also 
uh, the general public perception of no ABV spirits and cocktails or low ABV spirits and cocktails or the kind of hybrid approach where it's the the halvesies. 100%. We talk a lot about putting like a floater on top of our whiskey sour, uh, you know, no ABV can mm-hmm. cocktail, right? Like there's, yeah. you know, there's, yeah. there's so many applications like that and a great, you know, quick dry shake. Mm-hmm. It's like a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, Well, Lauren, is there anything that I forgot to mention that you really want to share with our listeners before we jump into the lightning round? Oh, my goodness. I don't don't think so. I don't think so. I'm just so thrilled that you've enjoyed. Yeah. Super exciting. Super exciting. Um, So we'll make sure that in a few moments here, we give all of your digital details. So that'll be on the other side of the lightning round for anybody who wants to follow you on social, visit your website, and then of course, order their bottle. Uh, But for now, let's jump into the lightning round. All right, hit me. First question, what is your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite of all time, what's something you've been more recently obsessed with? So my favorite cocktail really, truly is an old fashioned. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it was keeping up with the guys or, or what it was, but you know, I've always been so nostalgic about that drink. I mean, it just, it looks so sexy in the glass. It's so adult. Um, and you know, the fact that I can, I can enjoy it in three speeds, right. You know, high, you know, medium and, and no proof is like, Really freaking awesome. I love that. I love that. It's like, uh, yeah, like different gears in the car. A thousand percent. I always talk about it. It's like going to a Thai restaurant, right? And you're like, how hot do you want this? Like, I think that you the will sit at a peppers. bar someday and go like, I w- I want this cocktail, but I really want it at, you know, this this proof level. And those tools are here for that. It's amazing. There's no reason that shouldn't be on cocktail menus or spirits menus right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe not spirits menus, but cocktail menus mm-hmm. for sure. Um, that's a really good innovation. That's a simple thing that you could draw on a menu or just like a graphic you slap next to. That's to me. That's crazy. That that had never occurred to me. I'm sure it's occurred to someone. It's clearly occurred to you. But I'd love to. I'd love to see that at a bar where I actually sit down. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, bartenders listening right now, get to get to thinking. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think we do have a mutual friend who I think we could persuade to put that on a I menu so right too. now. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. so too. Mr. Birkinshaw. Uh-huh. All right. Next question. Uh, what's a seemingly small or idiosyncratic event or occurrence that always makes your day? I'll give you an example. For me, uh, my wife and I will often take our dog to the dog park very early in the morning and uh, there's an older... Um, sort of like octogenarian, like Chinese couple who will set up on the basketball court next to the dog park and they've got their boom box and they're always doing Tai Chi together. And some days it's just hands. Some days they'll have like fans or like some other stuff. And some days it's sword day and they've got swords. So imagine it's 7 a.m. in the morning and you get to see a couple of octogenarians just waving swords and just living their best life. So whenever it's sword day, that's like a great, I'm like, you know what? Might've, might've woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but it's sword day and I'm feeling good. Oh, I love that. You know, I, I work really hard cause I'm, I am a heads down, really focused driven person, but you know, natural beauty is, is just so wonderful. And I, and it took, it took a while just to learn to say it out loud. Right. But going like, 
God, look at that sunset today. And, you know, and it has been something that has brought just, you know, that moment of levity, that moment of like, I'm going to pull up and be here now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it is it is a skill that that I would encourage anybody to hone is just like, have you have you taken a deep breath and just seen the beauty of, you know, whatever it is, whether it was a bird outside of your window that you hadn't seen before or a gorgeous sunset. Last night we we drove into Virginia and it was the most beautiful sunset. Um, and, I, and I try to do that once a day. Mm-hmm. I really do. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. For anyone uh, considering moving to the DC area, Rock Creek Park is a great asset that yeah. I did not leverage until uh, we just moved closer to it a couple of years ago. And it's just this beautiful giant park where mm-hmm. you can get out every weekend if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so next question, cocktail with anyone, uh, your choice, full octane, halvesies or no ABV cocktail with anyone past or present. Who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Paint us a picture. Golly. You know, I would probably have a cocktail with Margaret Thatcher at the blue bar in London. Uh, at the Berkeley. Like it's just, it is an iconic cocktail scene. And she is just, she is, she is the iron lady. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, to sit, of course, have an old fashioned or honestly, whatever she's drinking, I'm mm-hmm. drinking, mm-hmm. you know, it would be totally one of those nights. Um, you know, that would just be an amazing, amazing experience and kind of slice of history. Mm. So mm, wonderful. Um, last question. Do you have any controversial or kind of like out of left field opinions or um, stances in the spirits and cocktail world? So, you know, it's funny. I thought about this question a little bit and and I don't, I don't know exactly how controversial this is, but in some places I find that people think it's, think it's not kosher, but I love a cherry in my old fashioned. <laughs> it's like the dessert at the end. Yeah. Um, but whenever I get somewhere and they're like, oh, we don't do cherries in old fashioned. It's like going like, what? Like that's a sin, you know. A Luxardo cherry is like, you know, the the creme de la creme here. Oh, of course. So, yeah. but yeah, that that would be mine. I maybe you have a better one. I want to know yours. My controversial opinion. Yeah. Oh man, it's funny. I, I I was just about. I was like, man, I should really think of like my current answers to my lightning round questions. <laughs> um, man. Uh, well, if we're talking bourbon, okay. Do you want? Do you really want to know my? Of course. I, this this might this this is probably more controversial than your okay. than your uh, brandy cherry, which I fully support, by the way. Okay. Spent like a nice like uh, if you can't get a Luxardo cherry, like a nice sour cherry mm-hmm. brandied from you know like a Michigan sour cherry. Ooh, really nice. Trigger warning. If you are a bourbon lover, if you have a brand or a bottle that you would go to war for. If you strongly suspect that your blood type is in fact a high rye or wheated mash bill, you're probably not going to like this. That's why it's controversial. Skip ahead a few minutes if you can't handle it. Also, I do mention a bottle produced by a brand whose workers were recently on strike. My comments on this topic pertain strictly to the flavor and price point of that bottle and are not meant to convey any stance toward the company or its business practices. Anyway, here goes. My controversial opinion in the bourbon space in particular is that I feel like bourbon as America's spirit should be more of a commodity than a luxury, and it should not be fetishized nearly as much as it is in today's market. Um, If you think about the way that barrels likely 
uh, came into the equation with distilled spirits, it, it was as a method of transport. And according to most historians, barrel aging was a method by which to cleanse the perhaps unseemly things that that barrel had previously held. And so it was more incidental than intentional in all likelihood, even though we don't have a ton of uh, good research dating back into the uh, Renaissance times when this probably first arose. But I believe that it, as America's spirit, it should be more of a commodity. And uh, as a side rider to that, I find it ironic that bourbon is viewed as such a stereotypically, and we're going totally on stereotypes here, okay. as stere a stereotypically male drink. And when I go online to all the bourbon forums, you know, you hear all these guys and be like, oh, wow, do you see all the gorgeous vanilla and karma? It's like, you're, you sound like a child talking about an ice cream sundae right now. Like, what is manly about all these dessert things? Like, if you if you really want to convince me that your, that your machismo is, uh, you know, up to crank to 11, like, drink something controversial. I, you know, I, and I picture these same people as, you know, I wave a bottle of gin at them and they recoil in terror of the Christmas tree yeah. effect of the juniper. So it's- Listen, I, I really- I, I really appreciate your point of view. It's very thoughtful. <laughs> you know, the the you know, the marketers and the capitalists, you know, probably disagree with you, but point well made. <laughs> well, uh, I've I've spent enough time in the space to have uh and, and granted, I love bourbon. Right. I just think it should be twenty dollars cheaper a bottle and probably uh several years younger in most cases, mm -hmm. and I would be content to have it mixed more often than than neat and uh bonded or below as a pro as a opposed to barrel proof. Yeah. And so my question back to you then is as we assign value and think about price, like what's your favorite, you know? Twenty dollar seven fifty on the shelf. When I can get it, yeah. Evan Williams bonded. Okay. Evan Williams BIB bottled in bonds. Okay. Uh, I think I just recently got it for twenty one, twenty two, and that's DC prices. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, yeah, that, and uh, I mean, if we're moving over half a half a click to the to the northeast, um, old Overholt. Okay. In the rye whiskey category. Okay. okay yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Put your money where your mouth is. You had the answer. <laughs> Well, thank you for uh, for turning the, uh, the the lightning round back on me. Um, <laughs> Sorry, no, that's 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 the beauty of the in person. It's an, it's a less less of a uh, less of two people sitting in front of laptops and more of two people sitting around a table with actual spirits in the glass. So. Yes, cheers. Well, let's do that. Let's do okay. it. Cheers to you, Lauren. You. And um, how can our listeners get in touch with you in the digital space? And uh, most importantly order their bottle of Kentucky 74. And before I'm gonna have you answer that, I, I'm realizing that this is, I, I miss the obvious question in every interview I do. Why is, why is, why 74? Why 74? So for, for a hot second, we thought we were gonna have to build a distillery in Kentucky. And what we found is we actually aren't made well on copper, copper leeches. And of course, oh, yeah. Kentucky's, oh, yeah. Kentucky's full of copper. So, yeah. um, you know, we, we ended up filing for our DSP to build a distillery and we were going to be the 74th distillery in the state. I love it. 
And that's how it started. So, and and you can find me all over the place. Um, you know, Instagram obviously drink spiritless, but also if you want to, you know, see me having cocktails and dealing with kiddos, you can find me at Lauren Chitwood. And you know, certainly you can find spiritless at spiritless.com. But also, you know, we are we're so fortunate. Total Wine, um, nationwide, Bevmo. Um, you know, depending on on where you're listening from, you know, we're we're in a pretty special place where you know we've we've got a decent a decent footprint. So you can probably walk into a big box store and and find us on the shelf. That's beautiful. Well, Lauren, congratulations on the success so far. Congratulations on um, not being content with just a single product and pushing into other spaces. Thank Uh, you. I'm very excited for for that. And if you need a a spare set of taste buds, feel free to to lean on me. But um, for all those of you listening, we'll have links to so much of what we discussed over on the show notes page at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. Uh, I can't recommend picking up a bottle of Kentucky 74 enough. Uh, I've got some serious plans for mine now that I've finally tasted it. Yeah. And uh, Lauren, just thanks so much once again for being a guest here on the Modern Barcart podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This was a treat. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Barcart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed. No ABV Spirits and Cocktail Insights, courtesy of Lauren Chitwood, CEO of Spiritless, makers of Kentucky 74, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2022.